look at John chapter 4 and the story of the woman at the well. And in particular, we're going to see this uh, major theme that Jesus always has this way in the Bible of seeing, knowing, and loving people well. And the truth is, all of us really desire that in our lives, just to have someone, a place to belong. Uh, my own son, who's three years old, his name is Jet. I've talked about him before. He is the sweetest, funniest kid in the world, but he is a handful. And he does this thing to us pretty much. My wife said this, or at least uh, this is true, isn't it? She shared this story with me. Uh, every night when he goes to bed, he fights us and doesn't want to go to bed. Big surprise. He says, I don't want to. I don't. And then once we take him up to the bed, he starts telling us, I, 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 read me a story, read me a story. I read him like 12 stories. Read me another story. Doesn't want you to leave. And then eventually we will go, okay, Jed, it's time to go to sleep. Then he'll start yelling downstairs to us, I'm hungry. Feed me. I'm your son. You have to do this, right? And then he started this new one. He's just, he's picking it up quick where he goes, he starts crying to the point that, mommy, daddy, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to go. We're like, oh man, we're bad parents. He's going to wet himself. He just body trained like four months ago. So we run upstairs and Lisa to take him to the restroom. He gets in there. You know what's coming. He'd be like, uh, mommy, um, I think that my body was just dreaming I don't actually have to go to the bathroom because <laughs> all he wants to do is hang out with us. Someday we're going to be like, why didn't we just hang out with him more? But he's three and he needs sleep. And the truth is, I don't care if you're three years old, 30 years old, or 95 years old this weekend, we all are looking for people to hang out with in a place to belong. And the Jesus we read about in John chapter four is the type that makes time is present to the people in his life. He sees the woman at the well, and he will love her right where she's at. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Mm -hmm. Come on now. 1130 is always a little hyper. I like that. Verse 3, John chapter 4, it says this. So he left, Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. If you're new to the Bible, uh, the Gospel of John talks about a lot of Jesus' actual ministry he lived for 30 years on the planet and then they had three years of active ministry. And this is in the early years. He's called the disciples to follow him. And they have been living on mission down in Jude, the area of Judea, which at that time was a providence of Israel. And I'm going to give you a little historical background on why this is all really significant as we read this uh, together. Verse four, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? I've got a, a map here, and I want you to kind of get the context, the significant background of what's occurring in this passage. Jesus is starting his active ministry. He's been down in Judea, where Jerusalem is, a lot of population there. He's been ministering to people, and he's going to go back to Galilee. He's from the town of Nazareth up there. Their home base was close to Capernaum, where Peter grew up and had a home. And so they have to go through this area called Samaria, where the city of Sychar is that you can see on the map that they'll stop in. Now, that's significant because in Sychar, there is a well that you read there was Jacob's well. Jacob, a thousand plus years earlier, 
had had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. So thousands of years ago, Jacob had, you know, had the 12 sons who this became a primary area of Israel. But what happened over hundreds of years of time, since the time of Jacob, who had the 12 sons and all the things that happened, and they would eventually live in Egypt and be enslaved there for 400 years, they will, Moses will free them and God will bring them back to the promised land and they will set up uh, Israel, become a nation. And in 721 BC, I know you history buffs are going to appreciate this, the Assyrians evade from the north and they take over the northern kingdom of Israel and that area had become known as the area of Samaria. And Samaria was known for the people who had stopped following God in the Old Testament. The Jewish community that had turned their backs and began to worship pagan gods and did some really awful, heinous things. By the time of Jesus, hundreds of years later, The Roman Empire has control of everything, but the area of Samaria is still known as the place where the godless pagans live, the people that turned their back on God, that got us into this trouble of being oppressed by the Romans in the first place. They're referred to as dogs. That's how low the Samaritans were. So when you were going from Judea up to Galilee, you're not stopping very long in Samaria, and you're certainly not hanging out and chatting it up, because these are the people that are ostracized from society that as a good Jewish person, you don't talk to. And Jesus is going to stop, stop and talk, not only to a Samaritan, but a woman, which you didn't do in that culture, especially alone. And did you catch what time the woman was there at, drawing water from the well? It said noon, noon. Why is that significant? Uh, you probably don't draw water from a well very often, but the way that that worked, it was a lot of work. You would have to take the, you know, the, the container for the water. Uh, women often carried these large uh, vessels on their, their head, and they would bring them to the well, and, and there they would fill it up, and it would be you know, usually very hot, and you would fill it up, and then you would take it back, and then you would have water for your family to drink and clean from. And so when she goes during the middle of the day, she's going during the hottest time of the day. Everybody knows, we all know, don't we? You draw water in the morning and the evening so you don't have to be out there in the heat of the day. What is she doing there at noon? She didn't want anybody to see her. She doesn't want to go to the well when everyone else will be there. Why? Because as you'll read in her life, she had a past. And she had made some poor choices. And she had had five husbands, and the man she was with now wasn't her husband. And Jesus is going to stop and talk to her. It says this in uh, verse 8. So he asked, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water 
welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. But Jesus isn't talking about water, is he? He's talking about the living water, life, life eternal. That after Jesus' uh, three years of active ministry, he will be crucified on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for your mistake and for mine, for our sin and wrongdoing, so that anybody could draw near to a perfect God. It takes this beautiful word we get to do, which is repent and say, I forgive me for the Lord what I've done. And, and he did this so that nobody, none of us deserve the relationship with God that we are given, but anybody can have it. And he didn't just die on a cross. He rose from the grave on the third day, overcoming death itself, that anybody can live eternally in heaven one day with God and experience his life now. Amen. And Jesus comes to share that with a Samaritan woman with all of that junk in her life. And he says, yes, even you, I'm going to love you right where you're at. This eternal life is for you. Will you pray with me? God, we just pause in the busyness of our weekends on this beautiful morning, and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit where two or more are gathered right here with us. God, may my words get small. May we learn from you in Scripture. May you speak to us. For those attending online that maybe you just click the link and are watching this, maybe, that God, that we would hear from you during this time together. Change us, Lord. We love you. We give you this time. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's put this passage into perspective a little bit. If this was us in our culture and we were on a, bu- we, we were on a busy schedule, we got to get from Jerusalem. I got to get up to Galilee. I've got a lot on my calendar. I am the Messiah. I am an important person. Stop through Samaria. We ain't talking to people. We're getting through there as quickly as we can. But I do need water. So when I go over to the well, what our culture most likely would do, we'd have this little baby with us. We walk over to the well, right? Like if Jesus was in our context and we'd be like sitting next to the well, snapping some selfies, not paying attention, getting some shots of those dirty feet, those sandals he's been wearing, Posted on Instagram, dogs are barking, I'm working hard, grinding it out, hashtag air Jesus ones, right? Like, that's what, that's what we would do. And the whole time, we'd miss the woman who is right there, right next to us in that moment. If you're taking notes, the first thing that we need to see from this passage, it might be the most significant that the woman was actually seen. She was seen. Jesus had this way of actually seeing people. I don't know about you, but like I can go to the grocery store and I can, uh, you know, go to uh, be on an airplane and I can't see the person right next to me. I mean, I see them, but I don't really see them. I just went to the worship on the water to do the welcome and then I kicked it off and then drove over here and I heard it went amazing. But uh, while I was there, I was like, I'm busy. I'm getting ready to preach this message. I'm bu- busy. And there's James in the back. Shalanda, James' wife, saw me and I walked by like the little welcome center they had set up with the coffee. She's like, hi, pastor. And I just kept walking. I don't know if I thought there was like another pastor right next to me or what. Maybe there was, I don't know. And then I was like, oh, shoot. Oh, she was talking to me. And I'm like, oh, Shalanda, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I see you. Thank you. And like, I, I could get so busy. I don't see people. Do you see people in your life? Are we too busy with this? 
One of the most world-changing things you could do walking away from this message, if you've been a Christian a while, is to go home and see your family, your spouse, your kids, your roommates, your loved ones, your parents, to put this thing down for a moment. Where's Rachel Anderson at? I, Rachel Anderson is somewhere at this service. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. Rachel is here from Purdue. She's a student there. And her, I just talked to her out in the lobby, and it's her mom, Marissa's birthday today. Happy birthday, Marissa. And I told her she wins the Daughter of the Year Award. She's not so busy doing all the stuff that college students do. She came home to hang out with her mom for her birthday. So I just love seeing that, man. That's inspiring to me. And that's what we're talking about. Like, we see people. We are present in their lives and what's going on around them. What does that look like to you? It could be world-changing. The truth is it didn't just change this woman's life. It wouldn't change the, the entire village's lives. What do you see? That one little moment at this well of being present and seeing this woman changed the course of human history for this little place called Sakar. Could you imagine what it would do if each of us today walked out of here and did a similar thing and saw people in our lives? But maybe you're like me and you see too many problems and I don't want to talk to them and I got, I got all this stuff. And like, do you see those things or do you see people? Because Jesus sees people right where they're at. And I was trying to think of a way to visualize this. See, the truth is, most of us, we want to go through life with these glasses on, right? Like, we want people to think we're cool, have a little barrier set up. That's why we live in the Instagram world. My real life, I live out in some uh, non-real world, <laughs> and I want to sit back behind these. These kind of protect me. You can't really know me, and I don't have to really get to know you. But what Jesus had this way of doing is not caring what anybody thinks other than his heavenly father. And he, he put these kind of glasses on. I don't know about you. I'm actually uh, half blind if I don't have my contacts in. And if I put glasses on, I can actually see what's in front of me. Jesus put these kind on. He doesn't care what people think. He wants to see people right where they're at. Which one are you wearing right now in your life? What would it look like to take these off and to put these on and to start seeing people right where they're at. The truth is, everything that we're um, doing as a church, these big steps, as you know, we're trying to turn one church into five churches. As we send out four churches in four different directions, as we said a few weeks ago, we're, we're breaking up the band, this band out here, and we're sending hundreds of you out in different directions to replicate what we already did here. Compassion requires us to see people right where they're at. And I have some exciting news to share with you. Um, in fact, the ushers are going to be coming down the aisles right now. And if you missed the, the Compassion Dinners, we have one more coming up. And I just want to encourage you. I've been telling people at the dinners, I wouldn't lead you well as a pastor right now if I wouldn't tell you this is going to take 100% participation. Um, you could come to this church as long as you want, never give a dime. We're not after your money or any of that kind of stuff. But I, we will make big asks because we believe what we're doing matters and we want to see people right where they're at and lead them to the saving faith that we've been singing about this morning. And so I just encourage you, if you haven't been to one and this is your home church, please come. Be there Sunday, October 7th, 6 p.m., right here in this a free dinner. Child care is provided, and we're going to ask you to participate in the Comp Compassion Campaign. I'm excited to share with you. We have already over $900,000 uh, committed just within the last week and a half, so we can celebrate that. 
over the next three years together. Other exciting news, the ITT building, uh, uh, Michigan Road and 465, it is official. We will be purchasing that location. We're hoping to renovate it and get a team together and send that location out uh, next August with the start of school. It's a huge vision. We need a lot of prayer. We need the full down payment. I think it's $675,000 by November 5th to close. A lot's happening. And I'm just being honest and sharing these details. And we can get lost in buildings and money. But the reason it's important because there's a lot more women at the well, people in our lives that we need to see. And some of us, we've been attending, sitting back, not wanting to get involved because if we did, it might get a little uncomfortable. Jesus didn't just see the woman. He did number two here that she wasn't just seen. She was known. She was known. And this is actually, for us as human beings, the hardest part for us. We're afraid to let people in, to be vulnerable, let people know what we're really like (laughs) behind closed doors, And we're afraid, others of us, to really get to know people because it's uncomfortable and I don't really want to put myself in that kind of position. I'd rather just kind of coast through life enjoying moments of pleasure that I can before I die rather than seeing people and knowing them right where they're at. Jesus saw her and he knew her. Look at verse 16 with me. It says this. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I love Jesus, man. Sometimes he always does his stuff, and he already knows what's going to happen, but he wants them to be honest about it. She says, I have no husband, she replied. I can't go get out. I have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And I just picture Jesus with this big smile on his face, like, I know. I know, and I know why you're here at noon. I know you, I know what's going on, but I see you for more than your failed actions. I see you for more than what society deems your value and your worth. I see you just like you are, and I still love you. And I'm still not leaving this conversation. Jesus continues on, and he he says this, verse uh, 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She says, "Uh, wait a second. I I get that you know God, but this whole, like, for us today, Christian thing, it's just kind of like a bunch of religious rules, right? Like, you Jewish people worship here. uh, Samaritans do this. He's like, no, 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 no. You have missed the relationship that this is about. They don't, I don't think they're physically sitting down here, but he essentially says, come and, come and sit with me and understand what it's like to know me and to know God. See, he continues and says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, just like we are today. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He says, you've missed the point of all those rules and regulations, and this is the right way and the wrong way to do stuff. He says, this is about true worshipers worshiping God in spirit and in truth. That his spirit is with us right now, and he desires us. That's it. 
just like we're at. And he desires that woman in Sakar at Jacob's well, right where she's at. Verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that, I know that Messiah called Christ, which if you didn't know what that means, it means anointed one. Messiah is the, the Aramaic, Christ is the Greek, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I'm him. Look at me right, right here. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Right? Like they know what Jesus is truly up to. He's concerned about this woman's salvation and what's going on in her life. And I picture those disciples rolling up and seeing he's, he's in the heat of the day, talking to a woman alone, and she's a Samaritan, and she got kind of a reputation around town. And yet, it, what Jesus does here is going to change that entire village. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, see, she came for one thing. She came for that, to fill that water jar up. But she found something way more valuable. Some of us, we may have come here today because a family member or a friend or a loved one that you care about invited you. But you may come and find something much more valuable than just attending a service with your friend. Some of us as Christians, you may have come because this is what you do on the weekend and you've been a regular part of our church and you're going to find something more valuable today. Life-changing for us as we begin to be honest and let Jesus know us as we truly are. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Verse 29, could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. See, Jesus says, when I know you, when I truly know you, I understand your actions. And when I understand your actions, I have the opportunity to respond with compassion and love. But we're afraid of being known because people don't want to respond with the compassion and love and grace and mercy of Jesus. But Jesus always does. And he's going to call her to repentance, yes, and she's going to do that beautiful thing and ask for forgiveness and she's going to change her ways and, and so is the rest of that village. But he led with the mercy and grace and his loving passion and reaches them right where they're at. Do you look at people that same way? Let's be honest. If, if we are leaving here today and you are pulling out of the parking lot and you get out onto 116th Street and somebody Pull, pulls off right in front of you and cuts you off, man, and you almost run into their bumper, what are you thinking in your head? You are thinking, you arrogant American jerk. What's wrong with you? How many of you are thinking, he probably has a lot going on in his life right now. Maybe he's trying to raise 12 children and I need to have some compassion for him. No, none of us are thinking that. And yet Jesus has this way of just going, I know I, I'm going to be right where you're at. I see you. I know you. I know your junk. I know what you like behind door. I know what no one else knows. I know. But number three, she wasn't just known. She was loved. The power of truly sitting with people in their lives is that they become seen and known and loved right where they're at. And that's what changes lives. I sometimes get pastors go, you you know, how, do, how do we do Mercy Road? Like you've done it, like what, what does that look like? What's been kind of the magic thing? And I really think it's this simple. It's hard, but it's this simple. Like it's nothing magical. We just 
spend time with Jesus, and then we go love people like Jesus did and tell them about him. And that's what happens in these verses. I don't, do you notice this? In this passage, she sits with Jesus, she experiences his love and grace and mercy, and she wants to change her life. She leaves the, the valuable thing she had, the water jar, and she runs back to the village to tell everybody the good news of this person that she met. You are going to believe it. This is amazing. I know you know about all those rules and regulations, and you got to stand up and sit down in church at the right times and how to clap on beat, because sometimes it's difficult. There's a slight delay on the video projectors, and I can't quite get it right. Right? Like, and then I come in here and I like, I don't know anybody and they say hi to me, but they don't really know me. They don't know. No, they knew me. They wouldn't say hi to me. No, it's not about the rules and the regulations and the church culture. It's about that Jesus knows you and he loves you. And we do too. And he knows you right where you're at. And when you experience that kind of love and mercy, it's life changing. You want to share it with others. She was loved. I'm going to read verse 39. I'm going to show you a a short video clip. It says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Why did they believe in him? Because she had sat with Jesus and then she went and told everybody about it. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I did. We'll watch a quick video clip before we read those last few verses. I, I realize I'm kind of on a Liam Neeson kick lately. And this is from the older version of Les Miserables. He is just, his character has just uh, stolen a bunch of expensive silverware um, and he's trying to get away with it. Let's watch this clip together. Is anybody there? I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed (laughs) that you gave it to him. Yes? Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry! Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him! You're really letting me go. Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. 
forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. When Jesus sees the woman there, and he knows her and everything that's in her life, rather than responding with anger and hatred like everyone else in their culture would, he loved her right where she was. I know you have five husbands and the one you're with now, I know you've been chasing after everything in this world to to make you happy and you haven't found it. He says, I wanna tell you about real happiness, real identity, and it's found in me. And he will eventually go to the cross and he will be crucified and he will raise on the third day so that any of us here today, right where he is at, he says, I have bought you, I have paid a price for you because I love you. And if you run and run and run, I will continue to pursue and pursue and pursue and I will never give up on you. I didn't give up on that woman. And because of that, verses 40 to 42, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and and he stayed there two days. Nobody even wants to stop in Samaria in the city of Sakar, and he decides to stick around for two days. Why? Because Jesus makes extra time for people right where they're at. And he sees this community that is having their lives changed. Verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. Maybe you're here today and you have been a Christian for a while and you feel like you've been a Christian long enough, you shouldn't have some of the stuff in your life that you've got right now. The brokenness, the sin, the shame, the guilt, the things you don't want to tell anybody about. Jesus sees you. He knows you. He knows all those details and he still loves you right where you're at. And his message to you today and to me today is he paid the ultimate price so that we could be forgiven and redeemed, but it takes us doing this beautiful thing of of repenting and saying, just like that, we have been bought by God and I return everything in my life back to you. And then there are some here this weekend or attending online that like the woman at the well, you have been looking for answers and joy and happiness and so many things this world has to offer rather than looking to the one thing that can offer living water, eternal life, God's presence in my soul. And he didn't pay the price just for the good people or the people that got it all together or the ones that grew up around church. He paid the price for you and for me right where we are. And so we get the choice today to choose how to respond. As he has made the time for us and he'll go the extra mile every time 
Do we sit with him, receive his grace and forgiveness, and then go share that good news with others? Or do we do like most in our culture, keep the sunglasses on so we aren't seen and we don't see others and we just try and get through life with as much fleeting happiness as we could have? We have the choice of how to respond. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Will you pray with me? God, for each of us, whether we are a Christian that says we need to surrender some stuff in our life or whether we are the person who has never fully given our life to you, Jesus, that we are going to surrender our life and everything in it in this moment, and then we're going to go tell others about it. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I'm not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. Thank you that you made time for me. And right now, on this day, I surrender my life to you fully. I do that beautiful thing and repent and ask for forgiveness for all of my mistakes in life. Use me, Lord Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for the lives changing every day in this church and around the world. And we surrender our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.